If you have a Bible tonight, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis chapter 13. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father, help us to glean from these three chapters. So important, Lord, as we left off uh, from our teaching on Sunday. Abraham, man of faith. It wasn't without trial. It wasn't without hardship and pain. And Lord, uh, so many times uh, in our own lives there's strives and there's jealousies and turmoils and, and we're going to see that in his nephew Lot uh, with uh, his men. And yet, Lord, you allowed it for them to be separated, even as you did Paul and, and Barnabas back in, in the book of Acts. And so, Lord, teach us and show us, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, as I mentioned, Genesis chapter 13 through chapter 15, Abraham, man of faith. We're looking at part two. Now, just bringing it back from last Sunday, uh, we're coming off of our conference that we go every year in March uh, to Calvary Chapel in Tucson. It's a beautiful time that we gather together uh, for three days there. Mary and I like to go out early and, and spend some time and uh, we have several friends out there. We like to get together with Bobby the Clown and, and his wife and his family. And uh, you, you always run into old uh, friends and, and such. And uh, David and Anna uh, are from Los Mochis. They're uh, one of the missionaries that we support. Uh, they met us there, and so we spent time with them. And just a beautiful time. And I personally was looking forward uh, to the studies in Abraham, the promise of God. Because uh, the character of Abraham is one of those that I searched uh, before I made my move uh, to New Mexico. And so there was a lot of reminiscing for me. And a lot of things that I already knew, but a lot of things that are fresh, and even for you this morning or this evening. But as we left off on Sunday, Abraham had left which we understand is Babylonia, uh, the seat of idol worship. Remember that Terah is his dad, and he was the high priest there in Ur. Abraham basically came from an idol-worshiping family. Now, the question's always brought up, uh, did Abraham worship idols? Most likely he did. Yet God saw his heart, and it's the same with us. Before we came to saving grace, we were in some type of sin or another. And God saw our heart. God saw a potential. He saw a potential in me. He saw a potential in you. And so we thank God for the promises that are given to Abraham, and we can glean from that. Uh, what ministered to me years ago, and I brought it up on Sunday, Abraham's 75 years old. I was 35 and I thought I was too old for the ministry, especially in our church. We had a lot of uh, young men uh, that were in their 20s, uh, 25, 28 was old. And, and, and yet, you know, I should not have been in ministry. I was already working. I was already, you know, had a household, uh, children, uh, paying payments and such. And then all of a sudden uh, to go out and minister full time. And it was not an easy uh, decision to make. And yet, uh, I look at 33 years later and see what God has done. And so, it takes faith. 
Maybe you're not going to ever go into the ministry. Maybe you're never going to move from uh, this beautiful state of New Mexico. But that's what God did for us. But yet we're all going to be challenged. And it's always the faith factor. What do I do? And so just mark this down. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more we hear God's word, the more the word of God ministers to us, penetrates our heart. The more God desires to, to build up your faith. And as you go through the years, your faith is obviously going to be built up. And so let's begin here in Genesis chapter 13. Abraham now, and again, his name is Abram, but I'll go back and forth and most likely call him Abraham. That's what he'll, his name will be eventually changed to, a father of a multitude. And so uh, he inherits the Canaan land. Notice now, then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, Sarah, and all that he had, and Lot with him. This is his nephew. Later on, we're going to see him called a brother, but he's a relative. And we know that it's uh, Abraham's son, uh, basically Abraham's uh, brother, Haran, and that's his son. But he's passed away now. So he takes him. Notice verse 2 already. God has already blessed Abraham. He was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. God had already blessed him just because he desired to step out by faith. And Lot was also blessed. Notice verse 3. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where he, his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Abraham's journey, as we studied last week or last Sunday, from Ur to Bethel, the house of God, we know now he has traveled over a thousand miles. All this was done by foot. All this was done by faith. Notice verse 4 and 5 as we go on. Uh, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the Lord, on the name of the Lord, a time of thanksgiving. He's already done this. He's already built an altar there. And I just want to encourage you here tonight. We have a tendency to ask God. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't just be one of those that's always asking, seeking, and knocking. Don't forget when God answers prayer. Don't forget to thank Him. Don't forget to say, Lord, you, you are something else. You constantly provide for me. He is Jehovah Jireh, and he is God, our provider. But thank him. And even when he doesn't answer the prayer the way you want it, the way I want it, because I will find out later that was the best thing for me. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. And sometimes God uh, gives his patience as you wait long term. Either way, God's in charge, and we need to listen to him. And so in verse four, 5 now, it says, Lot also with him, who went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. So financially, he was fit too. Interesting uh, that God blesses you, but those that uh, want to desire to follow the same route, route that you've taken, and that is God, 
God's going to bless them also. We don't know Lot's background, but his dad was part of the family. And so they were idol worshipers. And now he's following Abraham because Abraham is following the Lord and the blessings are coming. In verse 6, now the land was not able uh, to support them. This is Abraham and Lot, his nephew, that they might dwell together for their possessions. This is why uh, were so great that they could not dwell together. Notice that they have to separate. I don't think there was this desire to separate in the beginning. But they had so many herds. They had so many animals to feed. Where they were at possibly was not enough to take care of uh, two men and their herds. Think about the feed. Uh, think about the waters and, and everything that goes with it. And then maybe we become comfortable. And sometimes God will move you, listen, out of your comfort zone. And so there's no strife here between Abraham and Lot, his nephew. But there is strife between the herdsmen of Abraham and, and Lot. Notice now, it says here, and, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's uh, livestock and the herdsmen of, of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites were there. The Parasites were there that they dwelt in the land. How does God move us sometimes? May, I'm not saying that God's going to move you from, from this town to another town, this state to another state, but how does God move us in our hearts? To get our attention. Many times it's the trials, the tribulation, the hardship, the pain. And so imagine what Abraham's going through. Uh, this was causing friction. It was causing uh, fighting amongst them. Strife between the two camps, the two groups. The land was filled with enemies. Now I want you to write this down later. We'll study in the book of Acts in chapter 15. Uh, there was strife between Paul and Barnabas. And to the point that they separated in anger. But yet God still had a plan. Because Paul was frustrated with John Mark. And that was the nephew of Barnabas. And so in Acts chapter 15, finally, they separated. But later, you're going to see. God had a reason. Uh, the, the two missionary teams went. Paul took Silas. And, you know, Barnabas took his nephew. John Mark, he's the writer of the Gospel of Mark. But he was a sniveling little kid at the time, and, and Paul didn't want anything to do with him. And so God separated them. And so the same is happening here, and sometimes God separates. It's happened in this ministry years back. More than once, God separates. He takes assistant pastors away. He takes elders away. He takes deacons away. The only one he hasn't taken away is me. Am I next? I don't know. Look at verse 8. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let uh, there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Come on, we're family. We will see further. It is beyond family, and it is family. But Abraham had such a love and a compassion for his nephew. And I would have to say rightfully so. Because Abraham uh, rescues him later as he's taken captive in his family. That is Lot. Look at verse 10. 
And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the plain of Jordan. Uh, you have to understand that the Jordan River ran through there, so it has to be very lush. That it was well watered everywhere uh, before the Lord destroyed uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the Garden of Eden, watch what it says. Like the Garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. And so I want you to see the, the green land. I want you to see the fertile soil. And the waters of the Nile produced everything for Egypt. And here's the Jordan uh, producing. And today, the Jordan is very vital uh, to the nation of Israel. And when it snows, they are so happy uh, because the snows up in the mountains will come down and the rivers will flow. The, river, the rivers that come in, there's a bunch of outlets that go into the Jordan. And we get to pass those when we go. And we've seen them when they're empty and when they're dry. And the guides will ask you, pray for us. We need rain. And then there's other times. And I remember one of our visits, our, our guide says, if you guys don't mind, we're going to pull the bus over because we're going to pray. I want to thank the Lord. We were rejoicing with them. Water is so precious. And so can you imagine what's going on here? The waters of the Jordan were just for, you know, the resources of Israel and such. Notice, let Lot choose, uh, in verse 11, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed to the east, and they separated uh, one from the other. As I mentioned, Paul and Barnabas also had to uh, separate. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. You're going to see something drastic that happens to Lot. First, he camps outside of Sodom. And then you're going to find, as you study the, the ministry of Lot, you study his life uh, there uh, in Sodom, then you find him inside the camp of Sodom. So he's outside, and then slowly but surely he's inside, and then you find him at the city gates. And at the city gates is where the governments were. At the city gates where all the decisions were made. And so he had a position. And so Lot got deeper and deeper into Sodom. And we know that God has to destroy Sodom because of its wickedness. But you can't blame him. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand. And yet did he pray? Did he ask the Lord? Or did he just see the green valleys? And sometimes we're so quick to make a move, but that we seek the Lord. Just because it looks good on the outside, what's in the inside? What's in Sodom? We don't have any indication that Lot ever inquired of that. But he saw the waters, and he saw the land. He saw the fertile soil and such, and he wanted to move there. Uh, Abraham allows it. Abraham tells him, go for it. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plains. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And we know that God brings judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't think Lot really considered it. He just saw the prophets of it. Uh, notice again, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look uh, from the place where you are. 
northward, southward, eastward, and westward. God's promises right here. I'm going to give it to you, Abraham. For all the land which you see, I give to you and to your descendants forever. What a promise. The promises of God, you need to understand this. I'm not talking about just Abraham. We're studying about Abraham. But the promises of God are sure. For Abraham, and then eventually, you know, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, the 12 tribes. And I mean, the promises of God are for you, the church, the body of Christ. And, and we need to hold on to those promises because I can honestly tell you God's promises are sure. The world, there's no surety in the world. There's no surety in the flesh. And the promises of God, even through the trials, even through the hardships, God is going to bring it to conclusion. Again, for all the land which you see, I will give to you. And so here is another test, listen to this, of Abraham's faith. Obviously, he couldn't see it yet. But you have to look sometimes beyond what you're seeing initially. What's beyond? What's behind? What's further? Remember, we shared uh, there was no inheritance for him. That's what we read in the book of Acts in chapter 7. But yet his descendants were going to be uh, those that were going to be heirs of this. In Romans 10, 17, again, don't forget that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God kept speaking to Abraham and building up his faith. His faith increased, just like our faith. I hope and pray, if you've been a Christian a whole year now, or more than a year, let's put it this way, I hope your faith has increased since the time you came to Saving Grace. I hope your faith has increased since last year at this time. Why? Because we study the Word every Sunday and every Wednesday. I hope and pray you're doing your devotionals. I hope and pray you're reading on your own. You are going to grow in faith if you study God's Word. Now, we don't always do topicals, but even topicals are going to speak to you. But how can you miss at Calvary Chapel when we take it from Genesis to Revelation? And what about right now, what's going on in our church? God has opened some doors. We have a Bible study going on every day. We have women's Bible studies going on twice a week. We have men's fellowship that's still to come. And yet we just got together for a men's breakfast. You cannot go wrong with God's word. Then we're on the radio. And I know a lot of you uh, tune into the radio. Somebody asked me, well, what time's the radio program? I says, uh, we're on at 1230 in the afternoon. And then we're on at 930 in the evening. And then we're on at 1230 in the morning. And 12.30 in the morning, I love it. Well, everybody's asleep, Pastor Bob, not the alcoholics. <laughs> I used to listen to gospel when I was drinking. And so the word of God is out there. And when Mary and I go to El Paso to visit, everybody, hey, we're listening to the radio. I said, thank you. Listen to the word of God. Your faith is going to develop. Your faith is going to increase. God was blessing Abraham, and through Abraham's blessing, God was blessing Lot. 
And now through their blessings, we glean from it and watch what God wants to do with us now. In verse 16, and I will make your descendants. Listen, here's the first promise of just the description. I'm going to make your descendants like the dust of the earth. And so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, <laughs> then your descendants also could be numbered. That's impossible. But that's the blessings of God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 5, I mentioned chapter 7, but verse 5, Abraham had no inheritance. Little did he know that his families, his seed, his descendants would be blessed of God. Yet he had no inheritance. Look at verse 17. Arise, walk in the land, Abraham, uh, through its length, through its width, for I will give it to you. Does Israel have all the promises of land today? The answer is no. We understand the nation of Israel uh, today is about the size of Rhode Island. It's not very big. It's not very long. It's not very wide. I mean, we get to cover all of Israel when we go to visit. Does Israel have all the promises? No. And, and whatever, what does everybody want? They want us to want Israel to divide even more. It's ludicrous. The, the land that God gave to Abraham, the promises of God are going to come, come to conclusion. They're going to get all their land one day. I believe during the time of the millennium. In verse 18, then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt in the tabernacle trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And he built an altar there to the Lord. Hebron's about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem did not belong to Israel at the time. It's not until the time of David. It was basically an Amorite city, a Canaanite city. And so all these heathen nations that were there. But on your own, I'm going to give you some homework. Let's study the importance of Hebron. That was his home base. That's where they worked out of. And later, that's where Sarah will be buried. Later, that's where Abraham and Isaac, and just the blessings of God. Hebron, Hebron. And, you know, I could look at my Hebron back in Southern California with Calvary Chapel, West Covina, where, where we received the blessings initially and where God told us, go. And so there's always a Hebron. Uh, in our lives now. Now we come to Genesis chapter 14. Lot's captivity. Remember, he chose to go uh, to Sodom. And there he's going to be taken captive. And yet, Abraham. That's his relative. That's his nephew. He doesn't forget him. He gathers his servants. He had a little miniature army. About 300. And they go. And they take him back. And they lost no one. In verse 1, Genesis 14, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Erocho, a king of Elaser, uh, and stay with me on this one, Kedor la Omir. That's the way it sounded out to me, and that's the way it's going to get it. But watch when I read it again. It'll be different. And to tell a king of the nations uh, that they made war with Bera, king. There's five kings here. Pick up on it. A king of Sodom, Bersha, king of uh, Gomorrah, 
Shinab, king of uh, Admah, and Shamber, king of Zebian, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And so these are the five kings. And these five kings, all of them, will be destroyed when Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Interesting. You're going to team up with the bad guys, then you're going to get what they get. That's exactly. And the contrast to that, you hang around with the good guys, and God's going to bless you. God's going to take care of you. When I came to Saving Grace years ago, nobody had to tell me. The Holy Spirit was already speaking to me. Okay, Bob, no more drinking. No more selling drugs. No more gambling. And, and I tell you, there was a time when I said, when my friend was sharing with me, and I knew inside, I'm going to have to give up things. And inside of me, I said, how can I give up drinking? I won't survive. I can't live. i, I, I got to have it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And years later, you can say, what was I doing? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I know some of you smoke, and that's your problem. But uh, imagine you're being told over and over and over, you're going to get cancer, got to stop smoking, and then you don't take heed. 20 years later, doctor says you got cancer, and you're all surprised. And you're toking up right in front of them. Come on, give me a break. I didn't mean to go there. So you want to smoke, go for it. <laughs> Look at verse 3. All these joined together in the Valley of Siddim, that is, the Salt Sea. And so this is the area there. Uh, it, it was good. It's, it's the Salt Sea today. It, it's not good today, but it was good then. Twelve years they served uh, this guy, Ked, and... In the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, again, this uh, King Ked and the kings that were with him came and attacked uh, the Rephaim and Ashtoreth, Karaman. Uh, gosh, I hate these names. Anyway, the Rephaims were the aboriginal, listen, aboriginal people, not the Canaanites by descendant, had possessed numerous strongholds, settlements, both in Canaan, uh, the Canaan proper, and the area of the Transjordanic route. These were all the caravans would go, all the camels and such, and, and they brought their wares. And so uh, these were strategic. Oh, they got to go to war with these guys. In verse 6, and the Horites and, and their mountains of Seir and far as Alparan, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to uh, En Mishva, that is Kadesh. And we've mentioned Kadesh when we're doing the Old Testament. And attacked all the country, uh, the Amalekites and also the Amorites, and they dwelt in Harazan, Tamar. And so these are all the cities and, and, and the peoples. And, and Abraham was seeing them. The victories aren't taken until the time of Joshua. But imagine God says, listen, all of this is going to be yours. But you, you see all these people. You see all these strongholds. You see all these enemies. Now your faith is being tested. In verse 8, and the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zebium, and, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, 
went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidon against, uh, uh, there he is again, the king of Elam. He, he keeps popping up, I don't know, title king of nations, Aramphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Alsar, four kings against five. And so the victory is going to be given. Now the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. They're fearful. And yet these guys were strong armies, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. Listen to this now. In verse 12, they also took Lot. It's interesting to me that God doesn't intervene. But now you take God's property, and because he's uh, the line of Abraham, he's the promised seed, he's going to go through Abraham. Lot's part of that, even though Lot shouldn't have been there. They, they call him here Abraham's brother, but that was another word that they would use also. He's a relative. He's the nephew of Lot, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Now God is going to intervene. Uh, again, please don't forget, when Lot chose uh, to go to Sodom, he didn't go directly in. Did Abraham possibly talk to him? Did he know that it was a wicked city? A news traveled fast, but yet he still went. But he compromised. Listen to this. He didn't go into the city. He stayed outside and he camped. But then you'll find him inside the city. And that's his second uh, place of black, backsliding, that is. Then thirdly, he's at the city gates. See, you don't just go out and say, well, you know, I'm going to do heroin today. No. It starts slowly, slowly, and you work up to it. Well, I'm going to start drinking hard liquor starting tomorrow. No, you start easy. That's the way the enemy does it. And then when he has you, he will rip you off. And so in verse 13 now, then one who had escaped, God allowed this guy to escape. I, that's what I believe. And came and he told Abraham, uh, the Hebrew, I like that. For he dwelt by the Tepernath trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ishkol, brother of Anar. And they were allied, listen, allies with Abraham. And so Lot chose to move there. Now, when Abraham is in Hebron, he, he's in a heathen nation. But God finds favor for him. And he's an ally with them. And they respect Abraham. And could it be that they saw the blessings of Abraham? Could, they, could it be that they knew that he worshiped, he worshiped a Jehovah God? not the idols that most of the nations worship. And so they let him be part of it. But listen, Lot has been taken captive. And I love verse 14. Now when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, this is Lot, and not just Lot, but all his families and all his herds, he armed his 318 trained servants. These were servants of Abraham. This shows you how big his inheritance was at this time. 
He was rich. He had gold, silver, tapestries. He had uh, herds. He was not hurting. So he was a, not just a rich man. What did it say? He was a very rich man. I'm convinced that there's a lot of Christians, listen to me, are not rich because God can't trust you. You hear what I said? I don't know what I'd do if I was rich. I'm rich in Christ. But I'm talking about rich. I know a few people that have money. Some of you know people that have money. But I can honestly tell you, these people that I know, there's just a few, a handful, they are God-fearing people. They love the Lord. And that's why God has blessed them. One of the elders of Costa Mesa said, he, he was with us when we went to Israel one time, and uh, he says, Bob, do you know why God has blessed Pastor Chuck? And I said, well, he's a godly man. Yes. But they, say, they said of Chuck, this is what he said, that he could take a penny and squeeze it and make Abraham Lincoln's eyes cross. Yes, I have tried it, and I can't do it. But I know what he was saying. Pastor Chuck, uh, I could sit down and tell you what in our time, in mine and Mary's time, that we've been part of Calvary Chapel. They are a blessed church. They're worth, if not millions, billions. They got a castle in Europe. I mean, they have retreat centers, they have, and they're all paid for. They have a radio station. It's all paid for, church. And God used a man like Pastor Chuck. And you know, I'm going to share this. Some of you might know it. Pastor Chuck never drove a new vehicle. He liked those old 88s, those big boats. And he always paid cash for them. And he would run them to the ground, then he'd get another boat. That was his nature. A dealership gave him a brand new car, Cadillac, and Chuck says, I can't do that. And he drove it for a week, but he couldn't sleep, he said. He returned it back kindly. Somebody gave him a Rolex. I never forgot that. And so this rich man that would come every now and then finally was coming to Costa Mesa again, and he calls Chuck. And then Chuck starts tearing. He shares this in one of his testimony. He starts tearing down one of the closets. And Kay says, what are you doing? I'm looking for the watch. What watch? Well, so-and-so's coming. And you know, he gave me a Rolex. And I've never even wore it. What Rolex? She didn't even know. And so they found that he wore it. When he got there, this is five years later. The guy goes, man, Chuck, that watch is like brand new. <laughs> he never used it. Never used it. And so God is going to do the victory. We just have to trust him. 318 servants. Listen to the strategy. Verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as uh, Hobah, uh, which is north of Damascus, probably flanked them to the side, and using strategy going forward and then coming sideways. But uh, God gave him the victory. As David would go to the Lord before the battle. As uh, Joshua would go 
to the Lord before the battle. But remember the battle of Ai? He didn't inquire of the Lord. And they lost that little battle. Notice verse 16. Uh, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back uh, his brother Lot, which is his nephew, and his goods as well as the women and the people. Now they separated because they had too much. Uh, that is Lot and Abraham. And how much had he gathered now? Even that much more. But uh, the victory now belongs to Abraham. But I want you to pick up on this. Abraham doesn't take any of the glory. In fact, they offer him the spoils, and he doesn't want it. Again, in verse 17, And the king of Sodom went out uh, to meet him uh, at the valley of uh, Shaveh, uh, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of this king, spelled with a K, but with a C-H here, and the king who was were with him. And so, Listen to this, a time of thanksgiving, even by these kings. And yet, something very significant happens now. If you've ever done a study on Melchizedek, uh, there's a lot of speculation of who he is. Uh, some say it's uh, one of the sons of Noah, uh, Shem. Uh, others believe it's uh, Christophany uh, in the Old Testament of Christ. In bodily form, and uh, uh, he's spoken of in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, he's spoken of, of in, in Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, he's spoken of in the Messianic Psalm, of Psalm 110. And, and who is this Melchizedek? Because watch what takes place now. In verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest. Listen to this of the God Most High. Melchizedek is called the King of Righteousness, El Elyon, God Most High, one of the names of Jehovah God. Uh, Salem was the ancient name for Jerusalem in those days. He was a king and he was a high priest. Who is he? You need to determine that on your own. Are there theophanies of God's presence in the Old Testament, the burning bush, pillar of fire, cloud by day, there, there's obvious evidence of God's appearance. And then you have theophanies, God's appearance in uh, Christophany, excuse me, in a bodily form. And so we see appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. Again, we've shared many times, don't put Jesus on December the 25th. That's when he came and took on the human form of a man, of a baby. But go to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go to the left of Genesis. Jesus is already there. He always was, and he always will be. And so who is this Melchizedek? Do your own study on it. It's an interesting uh, character in the Old Testament. In verse 19, and he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He blesses Abraham. He blesses Abraham. The blessing of God, he blesses Abraham. I mean, this is radical. And blessed be 
God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Who took the victory? God took the victory. He used Abraham to rescue Lot. He uses you. He uses me. We're instruments in the hands of God. He uses each and every one of us. When we share with somebody, when we counsel with somebody, when we hear their trials and their tribulation. And I know a lot of you stick around after the, the services because there's people uh, that want to be ministered to and, and they want to hear from you. Sometimes God chooses you specifically. I like it when we have a homeless comes in in the back after the second service at the end, and they're coming for food, but there's people all around. The ladies are there. The men are there. And we want to minister. We want to minister. God's called us. God's anointed us. You study God's word. You have words for them to say. And I know some of you will say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, once your mouth opens, can't shut you up. Hey, you guys got to leave. We got to shut the church down go home. We got to get some lunch. Oh, we're almost done, Pastor Bob. Because God is working in and through you. That's the spirit of God. You, every man is going to ask you of the hope that's within you. That's going to come your way. You have the answer. They maybe will never open a Bible. At that moment, at that time, you are the Bible for them. You are the New Testament for them. They need to hear from you. I'm not always here. Some of the other leaders aren't always here. Pastor Cliff, he, he's up here in the front. Usually Angie's over here or one of the other ladies. But man, it's so beautiful when you get to share with somebody. And you get to maybe get their phone number and then follow up on it. And so here's uh, Melchizedek. And he's the king of righteousness. And he's blessing Abraham. Blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, Abraham. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now, listen to that. He gives him a tithe. He gives him a 10%. That was the Old Testament law. He gives him a tenth. The law's not even established yet. Why? Think about that. Just a beautiful uh, picture here. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, verse 21, uh, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. You can have the spoils, that's what he's saying, for yourself. I, I will take the people. They are rightfully belong to the king of Sodom. But you're going to see that Abraham, he didn't want anything. He was content. He was content. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, I've given thanks to the Lord that I will take nothing uh, from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours. Lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. You see, people like to take the glory. People like to say, well, you know, I had so-and-so come over here and this and that, and, well, you know, I gave them some money and all this. Be careful. The gospel does not have a price. Now, we're instructed when we do a funeral, 
we do a, a wedding, we're never really to charge, but people will give a love gift. People will give an honorarium, and there's nothing wrong with it, but don't ask for it. Let God do what he's going to do, and, and God takes care of his own. God takes care of his own. Notice now, uh, we come to the conclusion of verse uh, or chapter 14, except only what the young men have eaten. Listen, this is what Abraham is saying. And the portion of the men who went with me, uh, Aner, Ashkel, and Mamre, let them take their portions. Abraham's thinking of those that went with him. Abraham is thinking of, uh, of others. And I can honestly say, if you can learn to get out of that mode, what am I going to get? And you start thinking of others, God is going to bless you. We've often shared this. In the church, there's givers and takers. And honestly, you, you need to pray and ask the Lord, which one am I? Am I a giver, Lord? And, or am I a taker? And I'm not talking about finances. You'll find that there's a lot of takers, very few true givers. And I believe God changes you through the years. I, I, I just, Mary and I are, are that type. We just, you know, we don't ask for nothing, but things come our way. And the blessings of God are always going to be there. Look at Genesis chapter 15 now. God's covenant with Abraham. And I want you to study Hebrews chapter 11, as we read it last week, or last Sunday. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, when you see the hall of faith, when you see the heroes of faith, that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. They speak about a lot of the Old Testament men and women. But the writer of Hebrews spends a lot of time on the story of Abraham and Sarah. And yet, they faltered in their faith. And I love Hebrews 11. I have to go back and read it every so often and just see the blessings of the Lord. Unbelievable. Look at verse 1 now, Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham uh, in a vision and saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. And you need to circle that because Abraham, there was times he had fear. There's times that we're going to have fear. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, and I like this, and your exceedingly great reward. Fear not. I can honestly tell you, fear is not of the Lord. Fear is of my flesh, or fear is of the world, uh, the appetites of the world. Fear is from the enemy himself. But why would God give you fear? The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Who is perfect love? Jesus. Jesus. And, and rightfully so. We just studied on Sunday morning, two Sundays ago, and, and we saw that Stephen was not stoned to death by the Sanhedrin until his message came forth. And then when it was time, they took their coats off and they laid them before a, a man called Saul. Oh, Saul of Tarsus, which will eventually be Paul the Apostle. He'll come to salvation in the book of Acts chapter 9. The Bible says that Stephen was looking up into the heavens. 
getting ready to be plummeted with stones. Uh, they throw you over the, uh, the wall of the city, the gates of the city, and then they stone you to death. The Bible says that Stephen looked up into the heavens, and they said that he had the face of an angel. And then the Bible says that Jesus stood up. He stood up for Stephen. When you're going to be martyred for God, you're going to be martyred for Christ, for your belief system, is there pain? I, I don't know the answer. But I've read Fox's Book of Martyrs. I see the testimonies in Hebrews chapter 11. We hear the atrocities of the murder, the rape, the beheading in the Middle East. And some of these we hear that they testify before their death. Didn't Polycarp do exactly the same thing? At the age of 80, what, six? They're going to burn him at the stake. And they told him to, uh, you know, deny the Lord Jesus, give your allegiance to Nero, to the emperor of Rome. And he says, I can't. He's never denied me, speaking of Jesus, all these years. And they burned him at the stake. Did he feel the pain? I don't know. I think God gives you the grace. I really do. I really do. Fear not. I'm your shield. Listen, verse 1 again. Trust me, in other words, Abraham. You took no spoils. I'm your reward. God had given Abraham wealth, and he had given him health. It came from the Lord. I will protect you. What did the shield do? Is to protect you from the attack. Is to protect you, uh, the vital portions of, uh, of the front, your heart and such. And then the shields were usually big enough if you put them over your head when the arrows came. And I mean, but God is going to be your shield. And the Bible says in the Psalms, he's your buckler also. In verse 2, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir, his servant. Now, Abraham's not complaining, but he's 75 years old. He's up in age, and he knows Sarah's up in age. But God has to remove everything humanly possible in order to get their attention, because when Sarah would become pregnant, she was past childbearing age. They knew that it was God. Remember the angel of the Lord came this time next year. Sarah will be with child. She laughed. Prior to that, Abraham laughed. Abraham laughed. And put yourself in their shoes. Ladies, guys, wouldn't you laugh? Come on, Lord. I shared it before. Sarah looks at Abraham. True man. He needs help. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. God has given him the promise, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And we know that they uh, both Abraham and Sarah 
are tired of waiting. They have no patience. And Sarah says, it must not be me. Go into Hagar, my handmaiden. And so the son of the flesh is born, which is Ishmael. And God wanted to give them Isaac, the son of the spirit. Thirteen years later. Then he brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. It was the dust before. Count the stars now if you are able to number them. And he said to, to him, so shall your descendants be. Before it's dust, now it's the stars. Later you're going to read, it's sand. You know, when you think about it, in our technology today, we look up into the heavens and we see a lot of stars, especially on a, on a dark night and there's no moon and, and you live out there where there's no lights. I mean, there's stars. But we know now. That's all Abraham saw. I mean, we have telescopes. We have satellites. And the astronauts will tell you, we've never seen so many stars. You can't even number them, right? And yet those are the blessings of God. And, and you know what's interesting? We know today you will find a Jew, a Hebrew, in every part of the nation. Every part of the nation. I mean, they're in Mexico. They're in Germany, even after all the problems. They're in every continent. The promises of God are sure. Listen as we continue now. And he believed in the Lord. Look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. That's faith. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God by faith. And what did Abraham believe? Believed in the Lord. That's his salvation. What was given unto him besides salvation? He was given righteousness. The same thing with us. The promises of God are sure. He gives us salvation. He seals that promise with the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. And then he gives us even more promises. And so think of the promises. And I'm not righteous, neither are you. Isaiah says, my righteousness, your righteousness, is as filthy rags. But doesn't God account us as righteous? The description of righteousness was given to me years ago, and I never forgot it because I thought, how can I ever attain righteousness? But if you look at righteousness this way, righteousness is right living for God. Before I was unrighteous, I was wrong living for God. You were wrong living for God. And now God has bestowed upon me, upon you, righteousness. And the only reason you're righteous is through Christ. Through Christ. We're covered in the blood of the Lamb. Look at verse 7. Uh, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans, taking him back to when he brought him out of idol worship uh, to give you this land uh, to inherit it. It's a gift of God. Gift of God. We believe God by faith. We know now in the New Testament, God's provided his son, Jesus, dies on the cross, sheds his blood for us. I believe that by faith, and I receive him. 
And, and what's the continuance of that promise? Eternal life. Eternal life. How long do you expect to live on this planet? 60, 70, 80, 90? I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. 100 plus years. And I'll tell you, that's nothing. It's nothing. Not even a drop in the bucket, as they say. What, what's eternity? You can't describe eternity. It just keeps going. And that's what God promises for us, eternal life. In verse 8, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will uh, inherit it? And so he said to him, uh, bring me, and here's a covenant. It's a, it's a meat covenant. It's a blood covenant. And this is Old Testament, okay? And he said to him, bring me uh, a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, uh, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut uh, the birds in half. He's getting the offering ready, and the Lord is going to walk through the offering. That's what they did in the Old Testament. There had to be a blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And the animal sacrifices were not sufficient. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming uh, to the Jordan to be baptized, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then uh, they were following John. John says, hey, follow him. How did John know? They thought John was the Messiah. If not, then he's Elijah. John was a messenger, uh, the heralder. Behold the Lamb of God uh, that takes away the sins of the world. In verse 11, and when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, listen to this, the same words are used of the deep sleep that came upon Adam uh, back in Genesis chapter, what was that, chapter 3 or chapter 2. A deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. He gets this vision, and it has to just freak him out. And then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and I will serve there, I will, and will serve them. They're going to serve the Egyptians. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. This is the prophecy that they would be in bondage in Egypt. And that's what the great exodus is about. In verse 14 also, and also the nations whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Ten plagues. And finally, Pharaoh says, get your people out of here. And the people were so grateful. Go back and study it. Uh, they literally gave them payback, and, and they showered them uh, with gold and silver and tapestry because all those years they did not have anything. They were brutalized by the taskmasters, and they cried out for a deliverer, and that deliverer was Moses. And like Moses, the next deliverer would come. And we know that that was Christ. And I tell you what, 
people of the United States of America and people all over the world because of the things that we're seeing today and because Netanyahu has been put back into the prime ministry uh, there in Israel. Things are going to get hot, I truly believe. And the only thing that can save this world, save our country, is a revival. There's been two great awakenings, 1600, 1700. Uh, there was a Jesus movement in the 1900. There has to be another movement. There has to be another outpouring. Or, or there, people are going to die. And that's my families and your families that are not saved. I'm not saying that as a doomsday prophet. I see the scriptures. Look at the scriptures. And so, unless they turn, unless there's a change, God's going to bring judgment. When we see the book of Revelation, chapter 6 to chapter 18, the judgments are coming. You see seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bold judgments. These are harsh judgments. And I believe as you look at the judgments, they get, they get tougher and tougher. They get harder and harder. The Bible says that they're going to try to hide in the caves. Everybody's going underground now. And they don't want to tell you where they're making their shelters. God's going to find you. People were hiding behind their doors when death came into the camp and the firstborn of Egypt died. They just fell over. You cannot hide from the judgments of God. That's why I believe a, a revival needs to come. Uh, and we need to pray that. I don't want to see judgment. I don't want to see judgment on the Muslims. I hope you don't. We need to see them come to saving grace. And God is speaking to them. They're getting appearances. And the appearances when they say, you know, the, the light freaks them out. Who are you? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And they become believers. And even some to the point of death. Martyrdom. Look at verse 15. We're going to come to the conclusion. Up to 18 now. Now, as for you, you shall go to your father, fathers in peace. Listen to the prophecy that he gives to Abraham. You shall be buried at a good old age. The promises of God are sure. Again, he had no inheritance on earth, but he had everything. Where did everybody go in Luke chapter 16 before they went to heaven? There was a holding pattern, remember? They all went to Abraham's bosom, and Abraham comforted them. The rich man cries across, and he says, Father Abraham, send somebody to my brothers. They have the prophets. They have the word of God. Look at verse 16. But in the fourth generation, uh, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. After the 400 years of, uh, of bondage in Egypt, we know that they're set free. That first generation that was released did not enter the promised land. It was Joshua and Caleb and the next generation. And they went in. They took the land. And even Joshua did not take everything that belonged to the children of Israel. And it came to pass, verse 17, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, uh, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces of meat. And so the covenant, the covenant, I believe that the Lord God walked through that. Or Christ himself walked through it. He sees a light. And the covenant was made with Abraham. The covenant was made with Abraham. I love that. 
And we know that later, it's the lambs that are sacrificed in the temple. And then let's go further. And now we know that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. In verse 18, the conclusion, And the same day the Lord made a, a covenant with Abraham, uh, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, that's the Nile, to the great river, uh, to the great river and the river Euphrates. All this land, and they still do not have it. The promises of God. I, I will give you victory over the various nations, and he did. Gave that to Joshua. Joshua would come into the land and conquer. Again, did Joshua uh, take uh, all the lands for Israel? No. There are still more lands to take. And yet, what's the push even from the UN and even from our own presidency? Give the land to the Palestinians. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God's people. But I believe in the time of the millennium, uh, they are going to get what they need to, they were supposed to have received. Verses 19, 20, and 21 uh, these were the inhabitants at the time, the Kenites, uh, the Kenziites, uh, the other K people, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Rephiams, the Amorites, the Canaanites, uh, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Wow. That's, and, and by the way, where are all these ites? Huh? Where are they? But the nation of Israel is still here. The nation of Israel is still here. Church, hang on to the promises of God. The promises of God were given to Abraham. The promises of God to Abraham were for the nation of Israel. According to uh, Romans chapter 11, we are the grafted in branch. We become spiritual Israel. Listen, we have the promises of God. You have the promises of God. But don't count Israel out. Don't take Replacement theology. God is not finished with the nation of Israel. What is the seven years of tribulation called? In Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it's called Jacob's trouble. God is going to shake up the nation of Israel. He's going to shake up the Jewish people, and they're going to come to Christ. I truly believe. Everybody's going to be given the opportunity, and once you reject Christ, and you're going to have to go through the seven years of tribulation. And even some are going to go through the tribulation. Remember, when they see some of the saints in heaven, who are those under the altar? Those are the ones that died during the time of the tribulation. And so I've had people tell me, Pastor Bob, if I have to go through the tribulation, I will not take the mark of the beast, Revelation 13, but I'll have my head cut off. Honestly, I hope you do. But most likely... Moms, your little kid wants some milk It's six months old, three months old, and the only way to buy that milk is by having the mark of the beast on your hand or your forehead. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Great turmoil is coming. People need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. He gave the warning to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and the warnings are still there. And what did they tell? Uh, what did, in the time of, of Peter, when Peter writes, all the scoffers. My grandmother said the same thing. My grandpa said the same thing. And it hasn't come. 
He will come, listen, as a thief in the night. Thief never tells you he's coming. He just does it. Jesus is going to come soon. 